welcome back to the Thrive Subscribe Podcast. Uh, it's hard to believe that we are over a month now into the year 2020. Uh, one of the things that happens every year with the uh, first of the year, in pharmacy at least, is that we have a churn of patients uh, switching Medicare Part D plans. And that obviously brings up a bunch of uh, new challenges. Uh, oftentimes, a different plan may have uh, restrictions on drugs that they didn't have before. Uh, this last week and a half or so, I've been working with one of my patients, a patient who sees a pain clinic and is on a chronic opioid. Uh, his new plan, and actually many of the plans this year, are requiring prior authorizations on opioids because of the opioid crisis. Uh, so ultimately, we got that particular issue resolved. Uh, it took quite a bit of extra paperwork and time. Uh, and it, obviously, it also created a, a, a large amount of concern for the patient, worried that they weren't going to be able to continue their therapy. Uh, so today's topic for the, the Thrive Subscribe podcast uh, is actually going to be chronic pain management and, uh, and the opioid crisis. Uh, so let's uh, turn it over to Randy here. And Randy's guest today is actually a leader in chronic care management in Iowa. Welcome back to Thrive Subscribe. I'm very excited today to bring uh, to us today a, a colleague of mine, uh, Dr. Lee Crawl. And uh, Dr. Lee Crawl and I have been uh, associated with each other. We're both um, Iowa people, and so we've had a lot of uh, lengthy uh, working relationship. And uh, Dr. Crawl has also been very involved with chronic pain management and has been a leader for us within the state of Iowa. Um, as far as teaching us about uh, chronic pain management. She is clinical assistant professor of anesthesia at the chronic pain medicine at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. Welcome, Lee. I appreciate you coming on today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, Lee, let's get started um, because I, I know that we're very concerned with the whole public health crisis as, as it relates to opioids. And obviously, a lot of healthcare providers have been put under the gun um, with regulations and rules that are coming out because we have been overtreating people. And now we got people with addiction issues. So, this is changing how all of us as healthcare providers are evaluating, managing, monitoring patients with pain. Can I ask you, Lee, what role do you see for community pharmacists in addressing this crisis? Well, I tell you what, I've been doing this 20 years and working in the doctor's office, we can control the beginning of this, but we don't get the opportunity to see patients in their home environment, in their community environment. All we see when they come to the clinic is what they show us. A lot of times patients will show us that they're suffering. Um, they don't, a lot of times providers don't believe or patients don't perceive that providers believe them that they're suffering, that they have pain. So what we see in the doctor's office is a lot of drama and a lot of, you don't understand, I'm suffering so much, you know, and we see an exaggerated form of their reality. My colleagues in community, I depend on very heavily. If I have concerns about, you know, something that's going on with the patient that doesn't, that doesn't click for me, that doesn't make sense for me, what they're telling me, what they're showing me, I will talk to my colleagues in the community and say, gosh, you know this patient, they've been coming there for a long time. Have you seen a change in behavior? Have you seen something different going on? Um, so I think 
the the folks in the community are our eyes and ears. Uh, you all are part of that patient community family where we don't get to be that. That's one thing that I really miss about being in a community setting is I don't get to be part of that patient's community family anymore. I'm stuck at the university and I see them every three months, maybe, maybe. So we depend on information that we're getting. We depend on the eyes and ears of our friends in the community not only community pharmacists, but local primary care providers giving us, you know, the reality of what's going on with the patient in their home community. So for, for me, I, that's essential. I, I could not do my job. We could not do particularly something as touchy as the opioid situation. We could not do this without this village, right? this village that takes care of patients. So with regard to the, like the opioid situation, you're right, right? We all got put in the middle of the rock and the hard place where all the experts, and I'm sorry about that, my pain community did that to us, but they put us in a very difficult position, particularly the community pharmacist, because community folks got put smack in the middle between the patient and the provider, and the insurer, and the government, and everything else, and then they just point the finger and say, well, you need to control this. You need to manage this. And it's not fair because you have very little information to work with, to begin with, um, except the patient and what you're hearing and what you're seeing come into um, to your place of, of work. So for me, managing even chronic pain, be it opioids or insulin or whatever it happens to be, we depend on, on our connections within the community to, to show us and tell us what the reality is for a lot of these patients who are suffering a great deal. I appreciate that, Lee, and, and I want to kind of expound upon some of these ideas that you, you brought up because it hits close to home, me being a community pharmacy owner and practitioner. Because we do see this, and you've hit it square on. You, you've actually described this exactly what we do go through because we are put sometimes into the middle where we were in part of the decision process. Now we got to sit there and deal with the end product of now what do we do? And it, it, you, met, or you met with resistance with both patients and, uh, and other providers. But I want to talk about you know, how we became the eyes and the ears and how working together we can do a better job. We might be able to give yeah. you a, a different perspective because of what we see with the patient. But what we don't have is all that information as far as the background medical information to know, does this person really have pain? What do the other providers think? What are they doing to manage it? And what can we do to help monitor and help manage that patient? So sharing of the information, I think, is actually absolutely key. And, and so I think having some kind of a system in place where that information can be shared regularly um, will be important um, for that to happen. So that's one thing, and, and I'll have you address that. But another thing is that you talked about is, um, you know, being in the middle. And, you know, we have to control this. We have to figure out how to make this thing work. And to me, there's some skill sets that community pharmacists need to have that you have. So I'd also like you to talk about 
you know, what are those other skill sets that community pharmacists need to have beyond just understanding opioids? But you've got some patients with some big issues. And if it is related to both the chronic pain, but also to the addiction, that's a that's a very complicated patient. So I'd like to hear some of your discussion on that too. Yeah, you're right about that. And and some of them really very much are dealing with multiple comorbidities. And sometimes we don't even know. I mean, a lot of people come in and they have undiagnosed depression. They have undiagnosed opioid use disorder, you know, and it's and it's the gut first, right? As a clinician, if you've practiced long enough, it's harder for the young people, but if you practice long enough, your gut means something because you see patterns, you see changes in behavior. And again, what we see in the doctor's office is, I don't want to say it's contrived, but but they they want us to believe that they have pain, which is something that we can't measure objectively. It's something that we can't look and see that there's a diagnosis. It's really nifty for us if we have an x-ray or an MRI of the spine that says, oh yeah, well, you know, they have a pinched nerve. Well, that's great. We love it when that happens too. But a lot of times we don't get that either. We've got, I have a clinic filled with, I get a lot of referrals from primary care providers who don't know what to do. They don't know what to do with this patient's pain because it's not a classic arthritis. It's not a classic diabetic neuropathy. We all know what to do with that. Even if it's not visible, we understand that. We understand the mechanics. We understand typically what we would want to do with that. But when they come in and there isn't something that we can put our finger on, even the doctors scratch their heads. I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. And even in the pain clinic, a lot of times, you know, it's like, well, I don't know what to do with this. I can't find a target. I can't find pathology that explains why this patient is having these symptoms. And so for us, it becomes not necessarily whether they have pain or not, because in some way, shape or form, they're suffering. And if they say they have pain in their arms and their legs or their back or whatever, then they probably do. The question then becomes, what do we do with that? You know, because I, I can't read their mind and I can't live within their body to, to know exactly what they're experiencing. And that's a lot of times what they will say to us is, you don't understand what I'm living with. You know what? I don't. And you don't. The patient doesn't understand what I live with on a day-to-day -day basis. We just have to agree that we will be compassionate with each other. And those are the things that probably make my clinic thrive, that as a pharmacist, they send the patients to me and we go over the medications and I can look for drug interactions and duplicate therapies and all those pharmacy things. But the pharmacist also has by, I don't know if it's just innate within, other than the OCD that we all have, if it's innate within us to be compassionate listeners, good communicators. There, there's something within a pharmacist and, and people who work in a pharmacy that engender trust, right? We're one of the most trusted professions. And that allows us to be good listeners. And that's probably one of the things that I think is the most valuable in, in our profession, regardless of where we're working. We hear just hearing what the patient's saying and feeding back to them some motivational interviewing things. Gosh, it sounds like that really hurts. Gosh, it sounds like that back is really bothering you. Geez, I'm really sorry that your knees are hurting really bad today. 
you know, and then asking the next question, well, what have you been doing for that? What have you been, you know, actively involved in doing? Have you, you know, and once we have some idea, then we can put our clinical training to use and say, okay, well, if they have osteoarthritis, are they getting in the pool? Are they walking in the mall? Are they, you know, doing all of those healthy living things? I liken chronic pain to any other chronic disease state. In even opioid use disorder or other substance use disorder, it's just a chronic disease state, right? We just have to manage it like any other chronic disease state. The problem with opioid use disorder and, and chronic pain and opioid use regardless is that even though insulin is a high-risk medication, opioids are high-risk medications, there's very little, okay, until the price went up really high, typically there's very little emotional attachment to insulin. There's very much an emotional attachment to benzodiazepines, to opioids, because they make us feel calm. They make us feel good and all is right with the world. And the world doesn't look quite so bad when we have those in our system. And when those get taken away, the reality is not that great. So there's an emotional attachment that comes with this. And that's a lot of times what we suffer with is having these folks say, well, the anti-inflammatories don't help me. And so I need to have some oxycodone. Well, actually, the data would say that the oxycodone probably didn't help you as much as the anti-inflammatory does. But getting them to understand that doing the right thing for themselves is is not always the easy way. So, um, so I think with regard to skill sets, we have kind of the science background and the therapeutics background, but. The other thing that we have that a lot of times we don't get the opportunity or the time to use, just like the doctors. The doctors have 15 minutes to get, you know, 65,000 boxes checked. You know, they don't have a half an hour. They don't have 60 minutes to sit down and really talk to the patient about what's going on with them. Pharmacists don't either. Not if you want to have a successful business. That's where I come in because I do have that kind of time. They hired me to do this. but. In the pharmacy setting, then you can use some of those communication skills and asking the patient. And I always, I'm jealous because my mom lives in a smaller town in Iowa and they have a wonderful community pharmacy team. And she, it's her pharmacy family and the technicians and the pharmacists and, and the whole staff there. And they get her and they know her and they go to basketball games where she's there and they go to community things when she's there and, and the town festivals and the, and the plays. And, and they know, you all know if you're in a, a small enough community you see your patients out in real life and you can ask them, hey, did you get to the play this weekend? Did you get to the festival this weekend? Did you, you know, did I, I didn't see you at bowling or, or whatever it happens to be or bingo, if that's what it happens to be. But that communication, how are you? How are things going with you? And if you know a few things about the family, of course, always asking about the grandkids. Have you been to see them? Have you been traveling? And that gives us, I've had patients tell me, longtime patients, they'll come in and, and I'll sit down with them and ask them, you know, how they're doing, da, 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 da. And, and I had one who was a physician. And she said at the end of our meeting, when we were walking out the door, she said, you never asked me about my pain. 
And I said, yeah, I did. I said, I asked if you, you had just gotten back from a trip and you guys had just bought a new house and you were doing some moving and you were doing some lifting and that had made your hip pain worse. And we asked about this and the dogs and, and she said, You're right, you did. I said, I care and we care as pharmacists about the quality of the patient's life. I don't care just about the patient's hip. I care about the whole patient, the all of the patient's life, how their family is, how they're interacting with their environment. So that's what that's the skill set that we can bring is asking about the whole patient because a lot of times we know their family, right? Well, a lot of times I don't, but you all sometimes know their family and the community. What are you doing this? I didn't see you here. How are the grandkids, the dogs, the whatever? But asking those things because that gives you and by extension, a lot of times us, the doctors, information about how this patient is actually doing. If they're going to community activities, if they're going to visit the grandkids, and how was that? Oh, it was great. And they wore me out. And we did this, and we did this, and we did this. Aha, she's moving. She's going to the playground. She's doing the swing. She's, you know, they're doing things in their life. And that's what means the most in chronic pain. That's what means the most in the quality of life. And that's really what we want to give people, opioid or no opioid. That's what we want to help people achieve is a good quality of life. And sometimes a, an opioid here and there is, is necessary for that to keep people working. I have people who it's like, well, I guess you're going to need to have a little opioid on board. Make sure you can, you can get yourself to work and do the things that the work demands of you and, you know, and to actually do the function of living your life. So, Finding out about that is what I think the true key to the pharmacist is we have we have this innate thing, this listening thing, this compassion thing that a lot of I think sometimes other professions don't have and a lot of other people in the community don't have. Um, but I think they depend on us for that. They don't realize they're giving us valuable information. Sometimes we don't realize that we're asking for this valuable information, but we're getting it anyway. Does that answer your question? It does. It does. And I want to actually, you know, hit upon that too. And I'll give you a patient example. And, uh, you know, a patient that has been taking that, and, and again, the pathology, right? <laughs> it's always tough to find. And in her situation, it's it's been a difficult issue to, you know, because they've been trying to do tests and no one can find anything. Yet she's in pain. And she was mm -hmm. expressing this because now she's got new physicians because her physician retired. And everybody just had cut her off of her opioid. And oh, now she's in pain where now she says, I can't live. I don't want to live. So now we've got a depression that's going on as well. too. <clears throat> so I try to explain to her the reason why this is probably happening. And the concern because of all the rules that are coming out and the regulations that providers are being on, especially if they don't have a good report, like a new physician would have on someone. But because they feel so much pressure, the first thing they do is, I'm just going to get them off of it then. Well, that's yeah. not the best thing either, especially if they've been up for a long time. And I do believe this person's in pain. Now, maybe the mm -hmm. drug that she's on has made her more sensitive to it. And maybe it's the euphoric effect that she's giving her that's making her just feel better. She can cope with the world. But I have mm -hmm. no doubt she has pain. So my mm -hmm. question to you is, you know, that kind of a patient scenario you know, how do we work together? Because something needs to happen. What I would love to do is refer this patient to you, Lee, not just to the pain clinic, but to Lee Crawl. <laughs> and, right. and you well, and I work together. I mean, and I know we kind of laugh right. about this, but 
you know, we are doing some other work um, at the university with the internal medicine clinic and cardiovascular clinic where we are sharing mutual patient information on a regular basis. And we do a much yeah. better job of managing that patient. So I say Absolutely. that not tongue in cheek. I say that very seriously. I would love to say, I, you know, you should go to the pain clinic, but I, and I would probably contact you and saying, I want you to make sure you um, talk to this patient because I do think um, we, there is a compassion there. We are listening. I do care about her family. I care about her. We ask about those questions, but I know when she's in pain, when she sends us a note saying, um, don't pick me up for church. I'm in just too much pain. Well, that's real. Exactly. That's her, that's her reality. Mm-hmm. And we know mm-hmm. it's her reality. And she's a deeply religious person. So we know she wants mm-hmm. to be at church. So we know something's going on, yet there's no pathology. And so now she's in this, this mess, this muck of what do mm-hmm. we do with this patient? So tell me, tell me how we oh, can yeah. do a better job in that particular scenario. Of communicating. Yeah, I would love that. In fact, with this fancy new e-prescribing that they're, you know, kind of pushing on us, especially in Iowa, it's like it's mandatory now. But wouldn't it be nice if through that interface we could share information? You know, the we have in uh, in our computer system, we can share information with um, like hospitals that are within this network, and it's growing every day. So we can look at local providers' notes. What we never have though is pharmacy notes. And you don't have the information that we have. It would be very nice through that interface if we could also communicate clinical information with the pharmacy. So you would know what happened at a clinic. And and we can. I mean, wouldn't that be I I would be all about that, right? And asking the patient, I want to send this information to your local pharmacy so they know what's going on. And I'm sure they're <laughs> universally they're like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> it would be all about that. Because half the time I'm calling anyway, I'm like, oh, can I call your pharmacy and just kind of verify a couple of these things? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, Joe or whoever happens to be there is like, oh, yeah, that's wonderful. The patients, I think, would really like it, too. Our challenge, um, our challenge is you hit it right on the head, Randy, is that a lot of, at least in Iowa, I have had so many patients end up in my clinic from primary care providers who have taken over a patient from um, a provider who retired, a provider who left the state, a provider who was giving quite a bit of opioid and then kind of left the patient high and dry. And they have a new provider and the provider is thinking, Oh, geez, I'm so not comfortable with this, and I'm afraid for my license, and I'm afraid that they have an underlying opioid use disorder, and I don't know this patient, so on and so forth. And those are a lot of times when I get these folks in. Wouldn't it be nice if together we could give that provider? And depending on the provider and the trust that we've built with them, and this is where the community folks would be so nice to have on board because this provider probably has been working with the local pharmacy for years on the whole gambit of, of medication management for, you know, every, you know, disease that you can imagine. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to collectively or collaboratively provide the physician the support system to be able to say, you know what, I think a couple doses of hydrocodone would be okay. It would allow your patient to be able to go to church or to do X, Y, or Z. And that's, those are the things 
that, uh, that are, of course, are important for, for quality of life. But wouldn't that be nice? I'm struggling, really struggling, even when the, when the patient gets referred to me, getting local providers, unless they know me, right? Because a lot of times they don't. They don't know me. They're just trying to, sorry about this, but get rid of the patient because they're burdened and they don't want to deal with the opioids. And you should go to the pain clinic so they can take care of this and I don't have to, which the pain clinic is not going to do that. It's just not what they do. Um, but to uh, how do you convince them that it's okay to do this? How do you... I'm still struggling with that because we have these younger providers who are coming in and getting handed, you know, a really complicated patient. And so it would be really nice to be able to work with folks in the community to say, gosh, you know, this patient's pretty consistent. We know they're doing this, this, and this. We know this is their life. That would be fabulous. And then to a lot with the, with the primary care folks that I do work with, um, especially when they don't have the pain management resources, like in little towns, like in southern Iowa, we had a, a bunch of physicians retire and, and leave practice. And a lot of like um, advanced practice providers are inheriting patients. And where we have those relationships built, they can send the patient to me, we can do an evaluation, and I can make a recommendation. Gosh, you know, I think that, you know, one or two Percocet a day probably is, is just fine and it's going to help them do their day. And they take that and they run with it. And as long as they've got that stamp of approval, they're okay with it. And then, you know, I'll see them six months later, 12 months later and, and do the follow-up. But that would be really nice to, to have that pharmacy collaboration. That'd be cool. No, I totally agree. And and uh, you, I think yeah, this is an exciting uh, topic because this is hitting so close to home with so many of our patients. And I think what's really encouraging to me, Lee, is I'm sure us coming into this, people are thinking we're just dealing with someone who's just addicted and, and doesn't need a medication. Yeah, that happens too, right? Because they, well, they yeah. become hooked. And, and so that's the component of this. But what we're really talking about are, are truly patients who are in that ground, a middle ground of they've got something going on. We don't know what it is. Yes, we probably have gotten them to have an opioid use problem now, but mm -hmm. we still got to treat them. So I, mm -hmm. you talk about you having the expertise, you do. So your pain clinic and you and your other colleagues there have an expertise. So as a primary care provider, as a pharmacist, what I would love to do is be part of that team where you put a plan together, you give that stamp of approval because that's what we don't have. We don't know, right? Because mm -hmm. we're not the expert mm -hmm. in this. But once I have a plan and I can work with a primary care prescriber and mm -hmm. I can work with the pain mm -hmm. clinic, and I can work with that patient. Mm -hmm. And we're starting to share this information. Can you imagine how powerful that would be? One, wouldn't yeah, yeah, and to manage the whole opioid, you know, abuse problem better, but yeah. to really manage patients because the concern I have is we jumped on the opioid abuse, but we didn't jump on. We still got to manage <laughs> patients, right? I mean, yeah. And when I was in school yeah. a long time ago, now we were accused of undertreating patients. So the pendulum swung way yep. too far where now we overtreat patients, but we still have mm -hmm. a problem because we still have patients that we create the problem. <laughs> we just can't let them go. And that's what's happening. And I think both of us have just verified this on this call. So yeah, this is, yeah. this is very good. I have one last question for you, Lee, and this has been a, just a great discussion and, and uh, you're always a great person to talk to. You know, as we see community pharmacy transform, that's really been, what my career has been about is how do we transform community pharmacy practice? Because I've always believed 
what you talked about and is that community connection. You know, we do know this patient beyond just the drug therapy. We know them within their community and we know the community resources of how we can connect the patient who may have other needs beyond just pharmacy needs and stuff. But as we transform, we have our technicians who can free up the pharmacist. They can deal with some of the more clinical aspects of the patient. You know, where, how do you see um, technicians and assisting pharmacists and helping us to manage patients, whether it be triaging or being, you know, the tech check tech model that we have in the state of Iowa that's proliferating more and more within the country? What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> Funny you ask that. When I worked in the pharmacy, I worked solely in the doctor's office now, but when I worked in the pharmacy, it was the pharmacist supporting the technician, not the other way around. How can I assist the technician in actually running this pharmacy? So so for me, I mean, the technician is basically the heart and, and the soul of, of the pharmacy. And the pharmacist is just there to make sure things don't start on fire somewhere. But the like I mentioned with my mom, for her, it's it's not even a separation. It's the pharmacy family. But the technicians actually are on the front line. Um, they're the ones who might be taking in a prescription or, or an intern for that matter, um, might be taking in the prescription or on the backside, you know, um, uh, doing the, the cash register end of things if they don't need the counseling and things like that on a new prescription. But the, the technicians, at least in my experience, are kind of... And I mean this in a good way. They're kind of overlooked um, by the the public or the patients. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that kind of actually in a good way because they see things and they hear things because they don't have that official white coat of judgment on. Um, Same in the doctor's office, right? Patients will tell me things or say things in front of me that they would never say in front of a doctor. Um, So I honestly, more than anybody, more than the pharmacist probably even, the technicians are the eyes and ears because they're doing a lot of it. They're answering the phone. They're, you know, they're getting these incoming things. And they're actually, uh, it's lovely because they pick up on patterns. They see so many things coming in that they're the pattern recognizers a lot. Um, and the students actually will tell me this when they come through. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, when we take and then we start to see this pattern or we identify a red flag. Oh, this patient is coming from out of state. Or, I mean, in Iowa, we do have some patients who go out of state like to Mayo Clinic or whatever. And that makes sense if they bring in a prescription from from Mayo Clinic that they've gone to see a specialist. But they're, if all of a sudden they're bringing in strange and unusual things, the technician is the first one to pick up on that and go, huh, and then to allow them or empower them to ask the next question, even if it's a standard, you know, set of questions and talking with them about, are you comfortable asking this next question if this happens or having them say, these are the things that I'm seeing. What do you think maybe we should do about it? Because again, they're the eyes and the ears and they and they hear things. And a lot of times, again, they're the ones who are seeing somebody who might not be uh, mentally sharp 
or intoxicated or some type of behavior, even like the patient is waiting for their prescription and they're walking in the over-the-counter product aisles and they're seeing some strange behavior. And um, a lot of times the technicians are, I think, picking up on a lot of that stuff because a lot of times nobody's nobody's got them on their radar um, and they're actually able to see and hear things that the pharmacist is not able to see and hear. Um, so I, I really think, um, and, and asking about families, I mean, again, the technician is very much a part of the pharmacy family. And so it, I think it's just fine if the, if the technician is asking the patient, oh, how was your weekend? I heard you, you know, I, you said you were going to go to the lake and how'd that go? And, you know, how were the bugs and did you get on the boat and that type of thing? They can ask those questions. I mean, they know the patient too. They're part of that community. And so, I mean, as an extension of the pharmacist, yeah. Every everything except the clinical judgments on the medications, that whole communication thing. We, I mean, pharmacists don't choose pharmacy because they're they don't want to communicate. Technicians also choose this route because they care, because they show empathy, they care about the patients, um, and that's why we choose what we choose. Um, and uh, technicians are no different. Um, yeah. So I think you know, empower them. Yeah. I, I love that word. In fact, I, I put that down on my paper here, empowering, because you're right. Yeah. As, as they're helping to triage, because if yeah. you look at the practice that we've created at Towncrest Pharmacy, the pharmacists mm-hmm. are actually in their clinical area doing the clinical things that they need to be doing. So they're not even usually on the front line at all times, right? Because they're busy mm-hmm. doing yeah. the clinical things. So our technicians really do become the people who become the eyes and ears of the pharmacy who can alert us to issues they may see as problematic, who can alert us to clinical issues where, you know, someone is calling in more frequently or they are complaining of some pain issues. So they can do the triaging for us, and but empowering them to feel like they are part of the team. And, and the other thing I would say, too, you're absolutely right, uh, as I tell our team, the pharmacist, the technician, the clerk, the delivery driver, there's not one position that's more important than the other. These are all equal positions in terms of how this pharmacy functions. I said the differences is what we're responsible for and what we're responsible to. And so we have to remember that without the technicians, without the other support staff, the pharmacist cannot be doing the clinical judgment on the patient. But at the same time, you know, the the uh, when there's an issue related to a patient in clinical issues. And the drivers and the technicians and the support staff got to make sure they're feeding that information back to the pharmacists as well for them to use their expertise. So it's about we're a team. We work together. But that team is bigger. And you've talked about the village. That team then mm-hmm. goes beyond just the pharmacy team. Now, how do we become the healthcare provider team? We always talk about the team approach to care. We I've never fully realized that in my career. I hope to God before I retire, I will see that. But what we just described today, Lee, is that total team care. So that's the vision I have for the future. And, and I think you have that same vision. And it's just been a pleasure talking with you. I don't know if you have any uh, closing comments you'd like to make, but this is your time. No, I'll, I'll walk beside you on that journey. <laughs> that sounds great. Well, Lee, thank you very much for your time today. And, and I probably will be reaching out to you with some referrals after this discussion. So thank That'd you. That'd be much. awesome. All right. You have a great right. weekend. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. 
the Thrive Subscribe podcast is brought to you by Thrive Pharmacy Transformations. Visit us online at tptransformations.com, where you can join our free community to inspire you, challenge you, and transform your pharmacy practice.